Welcome to the Modern Mommy Dog Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full-time pediatrician and a full-time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. Welcome back to the Modern Mommy Doc Podcast, everybody. Today, we are chatting about kids and behavior, and I have Dr. Mona Delahook, who is the author of Brain Body Parenting, How to Stop Managing Behavior and Start Raising Joyful, Resilient Kids. Who does not want that? I love it. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. Who doesn't want it? And it's not always easy, is it? No, not at all. As a parent of two girls, I know that is most definitely the case. All right, so let's get into it. Let's talk about really the idea behind the book about how this is different from other parenting books, because we know there are so many resources out there for parents and so many resources that are not evidence-based or don't actually work. So I love books that get into kind of the nitty gritty of core issues for kids and how to start there. And that was my sense about this book is that it was different in that way. So tell us all about it. Well, that's exactly what it's about. And it's kind of, it's how I've been practicing in my field as a child psychologist for quite a few decades. And that is that I, I found that when we focus on behaviors as our target, right? Rather than as a, a super valuable signal of what's going on on a deeper level, what's going on in our child's brain and body, because we, we know that the brain doesn't exist by itself, right? Mm -hmm. It has feedback with the body. It's called the nervous system. And you're always getting feedback from your body that your brain is making sense of. So in my training, and to this day, really in education and in a lot of training programs, behaviors are seen as kind of the target of our interventions. We get very worried about behaviors and we may label them with a DSM diagnosis, for example, mm -hmm. or we may call them something like, you know, oppositional defiance or anxiety. And there's nothing wrong with the DSM. We, it's a, you know, it's a system that helps us get services, but what we really need to look at and where we found so much better rates of improvement and helping helping create more joy is when we view behaviors with equanimity as signals and once we view them as signals that are coming from this unique child because every child's different then a whole new array of things opens up so i guess the the way that my book is different is that I don't rely on general advice or even general parenting scripts that might work for many kids. Mm -hmm. I help parents figure out how to customize their interactions to their child's nervous system. Mm 
to each child, because if you have more than one, chances are they're going to be different and no two kids are alike. So that's how it's different. We're customizing our interactions to the child, not making the child fit into our pre-existing notions about parenting. I really, really love that. And I think it goes so counter to how I was raised, how I know my husband was raised, a whole generation of people were raised, which was basically a huge focus on behavior. I would gesture to say that probably on the outside lens of like well-behaved versus not well-behaved, my kids are like less well-behaved, quote unquote, than I was as a child, right? Because I know that my parents were really, really focused with great intentions on helping me be polite. Let's just say that about all parents, right? But yes, it's so true. And yeah, isn't that so cool? that you have a different lens. But let's just face it, you know, time maybe when you were growing up, timeouts and stuff like that were like really like the latest and greatest in behavioral technologies. And I mean parents even I mean I my parent my children are adults now, but I used so many cognitive behavioral techniques, right, that were focused on shifting behaviors We're not here to say that anything that you do naturally is bad. It's not. But when you understand on a deeper level, for example, when you talk about misbehavior, maybe your children move more than other kids. Maybe you have more movement needs or they question and have debates with you. And we now, you know, as a, as a pediatrician, that those kinds of robust characteristics are healthy. Exactly. Okay. So Tell me, because I'm sure a lot of a lot of parents as they're listening to this are thinking, like, yes, that sounds amazing. I want to get to the root cause. I want to get to understanding the signals of my individual child. Clearly, in your book, you weren't able to speak to every individual child. So you had to make some generalizations about how to go about doing this, about what are the steps you take to be able to take this approach. So lead us through if someone is, yes, I'm bought in. I want to really go based off this new version of trying to understand kids. How would they go about it? Okay. Well, we we focus on three areas. So the idea is to Focus on your child's reactions to the world and to you and to Mm -hmm. their insides of their bodies, right? And figure out what to do based on them. So we're following them, both in real time and what we know about them. What does that mean? Number one, we look at something called the state of the child's platform. And basically for me, it's it's a shorthand for what we call what in you know research calls physiological state but you can think of it as where your body is at a certain time in the book i talk about a neuroscientist whom i love lisa feldman barrett and she talks about something called the body budget and it's her fancy word for allostasis and allostasis is is, is how we maintain balance in our bodies, right? Homeostasis in the body. And she says that just as a financial budget tracks money, our body budget tracks things like glucose, salt, oxygen, water, all those things that go on in our physiology Mm. all day long. Mm. 
So I have a system of tracking physiology based on looking at indicators of the autonomic nervous system and indicators of sympathetic activation and parasympathetic activation, which we just do by colors, red, green, blue. It's a high, it's simplified, but it's a very nice way of taking a little snapshot into what might be going on under the hood in, in your child's physiology. So we look at their autonomic state, A. The second thing we look at is their social and emotional development. As you know, a toddler is in a very different social-emotional developmental phase than a usually a 10-year-old or a 13-year-old. So we look at their, their physiology, their social-emotional development, which isn't hard to do. It's like building a house. Mm-hmm. And then number three, very importantly, we look at each child's individual differences. And those individual differences include a lot of things related related to four main categories. But the one that is most interesting to me, because I'm an infant and toddler specialist, the thing that's most interesting to me is how all of us humans understand the world is through our sensory systems. That's how we exist. Mm -hmm. We interpret Mm -hmm. the world through how we take in information from the environment, and from interoception, from inside of our bodies. It's a three-prong approach, and I teach them in diff- in, throughout the book, and you know, we, we look at that, and once you know where your child's physiology is, red, blue, or green, or somewhere in between, where yours is, because we are co-regulators, right? We matter, the parent matters, and and we can, one nervous system can help regulate another nervous system. In fact, we're the most important tool in the toolbox. And maybe we could talk about the importance of taking care of ourselves too, because we are so important. And once you understand their, basically where they are in their social emotional development, because they may may need more time to bake. They may have, you may be operating under something called the expectation gap. And that is simply where we're It's easy to do, but especially for toddlers, you expect more than they're actually able to do from a developmental Mm -hmm. level. Mm -hmm. So we adjust our expectations to what they can do, which takes away a lot of stress. And then we tally up those individual differences. And then we, we get this beautiful picture of this human who's not us and who's trying to survive in the world as are we. And we customize our parenting to those kiddos that we, that we are blessed with. And, you know, it all started for me, this whole journey started for me when I was a psychologist and I had a specialty in attachment theory. I was so cocky. I thought, oh, I got this parenting thing down and (laughs) failure on my preemie. (laughs) None of that stuff worked. And so I had to go deeper and deeper and deeper and that's what I did. And it, it's, it's turned out well. You know, that's what I find with almost all of the experts that I talk to who really have found gold is that they started with kind of the surface level understanding and kind of this, this feeling of like, well, I know it. This is like what everybody talks about. It's fine. I'm good. And then they, they come to Jesus with this, like either this child that's really difficult or this life situation that's really difficult. And they realize, oh my gosh, there are so many layers that are deeper here and that this deserves more investigation. Okay. So I have a couple of questions. One, on the whole physiologic state, I'm assuming you're talking about moment to moment 
Or are you talking about the physiologic state like of a child, kind of what their state is generally? Because I will say that for my kids, like I have one who's like a like lounger. She's like needs the the reading time and the space. She needs to have like quiet. And then I have another kid whose energy really derives from like she's around other people. She's away, you know, like so very, very different kind of like temperaments and different physiological states just at baseline. But then of course, throughout the day, throughout the month, throughout the week, they're in like different zones also, depending on what's going on for them. Yeah. So you mentioned two different categories, which are both, I think, super useful. Like one is more of a pro individual profile, right? Some people, some of our kids, I have one the same way. I have a lounger who just like to to lay on my lap and read together and do things like that. Another one, constant motion creating. She had to create, she had to move. So that's a more of an individual profile. But the way we use, the way I talk about it is via something called the polyvagal theory, which has kind of a phylogenetic, which is an, the evolutionary history of our autonomic nervous system. And the in real time, what the driver is. Is it the sympathetic nervous system, which we call the red pathway? Is there energy inside that body? Is there an accelerated uh, heart rate variability? Is there, you know, is your, is, are your child's hands sweaty? Are they sweating on the nose? Is their heart rate increasing? Are they mm -hmm. agitated? Are they needing to move? Or are they pretty calm? Are they in that, what's called the ventral vagal, the green pathway, the, the parasympathetic green, which is rested, calm, alert, time to try new things, try, time to challenge the child. They can, they can carry a bigger ask. That's mm -hmm. an actually a, a pathway of the parasympathetic system. And then finally, the dorsal vagal, was, which is that we call the blue pathway where, where people shut down. You know, we see that more often. I see that more often in children who have trauma histories and who've had chronic stress or trauma or medical trauma and where you have days and weeks where a child is really shut down and not engaging, not playing, there's conservation of energy. So sure. anyway, we, we use kind of, that's how we, how we kind of categorize it in the moment. Where am I? How strong is my body budget? Am I in the red or am I in the green? And where's my kid? Is she, is she or he or they, are they like out there? Are they accelerated? Are they agitated? Or are they mm -hmm. calm? The other thing I was going to say about the social emotional development piece is that I see, especially in the toddler zone in my practice, and this happened with me too, that a lot of the toddlers who can communicate early have a lot of words, are highly verbal, that it creates kind of sometimes this disconnect for parents because sometimes they'll kind of assume then that their child's social emotional development is more sophisticated than it actually is. And so it actually sometimes gets them into trouble and got me into trouble because you think, well, this kid should be able to handle more because they can say all this. Talk about that because that's really not true. Totally. And let, let's, we, I think most of us fall into that because we're, we're human. We're thinking because our child can walk and talk and memorize things and explain at times what's going on and maybe even how they feel that they should be able to do it all the time. And, mm -hmm. and so have compassion for yourself. Self-compassion is my best friend. Have yes, compassion if you think that. <laughs> please, don't, yeah, please don't say, oh no, I'm doing that. No, no, no. Just have compassion and understand that 
the expectation gap isn't very well known. The Zero to Three Foundation did this huge study that came out with it not too long ago. So it's true, exactly what you're saying, Dr. Whitney, that the just because a child can walk and talk and reason with you at times, there is no way you can accelerate that type of social emotional self-regulation until you've embodied it for thousands and thousands of hours. So adjust our expectations to know that self, self-regulation, this ability to control your arousal levels takes a long time. A long, long time. So just, yeah, we really need to, I think, have more patience for our toddlers and a lot more compassion for parents of toddlers because it takes a lot of work and a lot of patience. Mm -hmm. And if you are looking for that patience inside yourself, you know, Modern Mommy Doc, that's what we're all about is this idea that if you don't have the bandwidth for whatever reason, sometimes forces outside of your own control, a pandemic, trauma that you've had that maybe hasn't been dealt with yet, low on sleep because you're a new parent and you have a you know new baby plus your toddler or your older child. All of those things are going to make it so that your ability to respond versus react to your child, your ability to regulate your own emotions is going to be more difficult. So having grace for yourself and then also finding ways to conserve your energy and to focus in on what really matters and then just deal with the rest is always our philosophy here. I love that. It's just, thank goodness. I wish you were there when I, when my kids were little, when I had toddlers. That's <laughs> like you said, be reminded. And especially if you have mommies like ourselves who were working mommies and daddies and, uh, you know, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and we're pretty hard on ourselves, I think. And just, to, like you said, zero in on, on what matters and give yourself permission to, to look at things differently and be so gentle on yourself. I mean, those are, it's just like gold. And in fact, I, it's funny because I, in, in the book, I talked about a story of, of one, of one day. (laughs) So the only memory I had of pure joyful abandon with my children where we had a mud fight in the backyard. We all, we were like outside and all of a sudden there was mud and a hose and usually, and now I had tons of laundry to do and I'm, I'm really a neat freak. And I wanted, you know, that was outside of my bandwidth, but all of a sudden I picked up a big pile of mud and I threw it and I said, mud fight. And (laughs) we, we were in our, in our underwear, in the backyard, me and my three kids all under the age of 10 having a mud fight. And sure enough, that's one of my treasured memories of motherhood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when Mm -hmm. I let myself off the hook to think, who cares? You know, like we could even wash the clothes over the weekend. I don't have to do it tonight. Right. Mm -hmm. And let's go for joy. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I I wish I would have had more moments like that, but I, I, that's why I think it's so great that moms like you can support parents and say, it's okay. Go for joy. Go for safety. Go for coziness. It's so good. 100%. You know how like in high school, you could join different clubs depending on your interests or things people were into. 
I wasn't really that much of a club person when I was younger, but these days it feels like having a tribe of other working moms around me is so, so valuable. And it's hard to do in real life because we're all scattered and busy and have our separate lives. We have designed the Modern Mamas Club to be that club, that tribe, that support network for you. And we didn't want it just to be about what are the ways we can help you to be an awesome professional or what are the ways we can help you to be an awesome mom, but also what are the ways we can help you to remember who you are as an individual person? Voila, welcome. The Modern Mamas Club is on the scene. It's a community of mamas to support you, 24 access to our video library, live events, workshops, hangouts, relatable mom rooms and discussions, and a resource library and recommendations from yours truly, Dr. Whitney. Go check it out at modernmommydoc.com. Tell me more too about the individual difference part, because I think most listeners can probably wrap their heads around the idea of like, okay, I need to understand kind of my emotional state, my autonomic state at this moment. I need to understand my kids. I need to try to regulate that as best as possible or give myself compassion if I can't. I need to understand their social emotional development level and or do I have an expectation gap around that? But the differences piece, dig into that for me about what that would mean like in the moment when you're trying to figure out how to address your child's needs. Yeah. So those individual differences, I think, are we can start to tabulate individual differences in our children's way of being in the world from infancy. And that doesn't mean that it's, 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 all, it's all shifting and changing and dynamic and everything like that. But the most profound individual differences that I talk, that I think about, and it's, it's again, mostly from all those probably over a thousand little ones that I saw, preschoolers that maybe were kicked out of preschool mm-hmm. or just about to get kicked out of preschool and got sent to me and the parents are like, oh no. A child psychologist and my child's only like three. <laughs> this is right. terrible. <laughs> what does the world come to? And I just loved to unpack those individual differences that might make us think that something's wrong with the child when in actuality it's how they're processing the world. Mm-hmm. So here's an example of individual differences. Like I mentioned before, The only way humans understand our world is through eight different ways of of sensory processing, Mm -hmm. eight different ways. We know the the regular ones, the vision, the the smell, auditory, taste. And then you have two other senses. You have a vestibular sense movement in space and then proprioception, Mm -hmm. which is sensations to muscles and joints. And then the hottest area of research right now is, is... called interoception, the sense of feedback inside that's going from your body uh, around your organs to your brain, which is subconscious, Mm -hmm. but interoceptive awareness is when you actually can feel it, like a tummy ache, a tug, you can feel your heartbeat. So as it turns out, this ability to feel 
physical sensations inside of your body is being correlated in a ton of really interesting new research with children's self-regulatory and emotional abilities. Mm -hmm. So the more a child can sense and label or tell you about feeling something inside on a physical basis, like when they're two or three or four, Mm -hmm. that one day can translate into, I'm feeling really scared because I'm thinking about X and mommy, can I, can I share that with you? Mm -hmm. Children Mm -hmm. who don't have the ability to have to recognize that their heart is beating a little faster or that they're having some change in their body due to a thought are the ones who tend to have those other pathways. They may have obsessive behaviors. They may be really rigid or controlling. They may refuse to go to birthday parties or have these mm-hmm. behaviors that are confusing to us. Like, why, why are you doing that? Or have rituals. Mm-hmm. And what we're finding out is that these individual differences in how they process information is golden to helping parents know what that challenge zone is because we have to work within a child's challenge zone what might be easy an easy ask for one of your children could be a really hard ask for another Mm -hmm. so we in the in the book i talk about just a basic little tally that parents can think about their child child growing up if they're older or if they're little through all the sensory systems to see where some of their behaviors may be coming from as a result of how they process the world through their senses. That's a really new angle to parenting. I, I, I don't think anyone else has done it yet, so I'm excited about it. Well, I think it's cool because it really connects back to mindfulness for adults as well and that awareness. And that our, I, I'm thinking also just about the, the fact that our world, you know, with all of the sensory input that we have from screens and from distractions, that of course that makes it even harder to listen to our bodies and to have that interception to be able to identify, oh, my heart's beating fast. You know, it makes it so it's harder to slow down and be aware of that. I remember my therapist, when we first started meeting, would of course be like, tell me, where do, where do you feel that? You're talking about how sad you are. Where do you feel that in your body? And I remember really feeling like, or saying, this is like a waste of my time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, can we get on to the solution for why I feel so anxious? And <laughs> then, you know, yes. then of, yeah. oh then of course, she, she's like, no. Me too. <laughs> yeah, totally. I agree. And I'm a psychologist. No, that was me too. Whitney, I, I ended up the doctor for dehydration because I couldn't even tell when, when I was thirsty. I was, I was so out of, I lived out of my body until Mm -hmm. I found mindfulness and, and, and everything changed. But that was when I was older. I would have loved to have this. I would have loved someone to tell me that actually paying attention and slowing down enough to feel your body can help your anxiety, can help you Mm -hmm. as a revved up multitasking, freakish, super organized mom, which I was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And to help your kids too. We do these mindfulness sleep apps to go to sleep that I have found so helpful just to like teach my kids the process of that. 
it's, I can put it in the show notes. It's called New Horizon Sleep Meditations. They're free. They're, it's like an app that's free. And they just go through and, and they teach them stories, but they basically do a body scan and they help to kind of identify. And gosh, I like have so much hope for this new generation that they're going to have more awareness of their bodies and that that can be a healing, a starting point for healing for them. And that maybe they won't have to live with anxiety for quite so long as we all did. <laughs> Oh, I think that's beautiful. And that they can that they can view their bodies and their bodies' reactions with such compassion and love. Mm-hmm. And and that's my hope too. And and it is a bit of a, I have to say, because I work a lot in preschools and kindergartens, and I'm a little concerned about how our culture is the messages our culture, particularly our education system, is giving children about their body state. So there are classrooms where you have behavior charts, for example, where yeah. children, if they have certain behaviors, they have to go from, you know, green to yellow or or yellow to red, and then they get a note sent home or something. When when the the bodies need to move is compassionately a protective response for children. Mm-hmm. So I think this whole idea of appreciating one's body sensations and signals and needs really needs to be taught to teachers too, and especially mm-hmm. preschool teachers mm-hmm. and p- even pediatricians. I'm so glad you're yeah. out there, but sometimes <laughs> pediatricians don't, don't catch it and they'll, they'll slap on some sort of a label like your child might be developing ADHD and they're only like two and a half. I'm going, wait, there's so many other things we can think about here first than a, right. a psychiatric label, but right. that's my opinion. Yeah, no, no, no. I I think that there is a lot to that. And if I wasn't bound by confidentiality, I have a, a, a very, very relevant story about that exact same thing in a school setting. So I, I've that's near and dear to my heart, especially this month. How then do parents kind of put this all together and have decision making about how to respond to their kids. They understand then these three areas. They're taking all that into consideration. Then is there a method in your book that you talk about about then how to address what's happening for their kids? Yeah. So we put it all together. We just use colors, so basic colors for how a child's doing. So first of all, we will say, okay, in this moment, is my child red, blue, or green? And you can do that pretty good with yourself or with a child. That's Mm -hmm. an indicator, one indicator of the body budget. Another way to think of it for that first step is, is my child's body budget flush or is it in a deficit? Mm -hmm. A flush body budget can do another ask. It can go Mm -hmm. to Target on the way home from school. (laughs) But what if that kid (laughs) needs a deposit like food or water or a nap? or a hug. So you first of all figure out, is that body budget in deficit or is it flush or does it need a deposit? And what kind of deposit does it need, right? Mm-hmm. As a parent, you can be, you know, you'll kind of tally for each child and you know when they ate last, are they constipated? You know, you, you kind of figure mm-hmm. out how their body's doing. Number two, you fill out, the social emotional development is less static. It's kind of more, you can track it. So I conceptualize it as six steps of building a house. And they're always in flux as we grow, but we fill out the house. Where are they in the house right now? So if they're at a, in the place in the house where they can't build bridges between their ideas and someone else's, for example, which is the driveway out to the 
out to the world, then we wouldn't force them to, for example, share a toy because they aren't able to understand someone else's point of view yet. So it guides your decisions based on where they are in the house. And then third is that we really do tally for each sensory system in my work. We, We look at each child's sensory system and we see if they're over, under, reactive in each of their sensory systems, which is kind of a checklist that I have Mm -hmm. in the book, or are they craving sensory input? Mm -hmm. And then we build that into their day. We kind of build it into our parenting so that we're not looking at our child as deficient or managing their behaviors, but we're moving towards resiliency, which is basically, I think, how do we help our child become more and more flexible with all that life is going to throw at them. Yeah. Because in the end, I we do want children who are happy, but we also want children as independent as they can be, I think, and as resilient as they can be. Yeah. So we personalize the parenting towards resiliency. And that's why we have the subtitle of how to go beyond managing behaviors, go beyond behaviors to the nervous system, which is the hub of how we all get set up in viewing the world as a scary place, a safe place, and challenges that are manageable versus those that feel overwhelming. And once you know your child's nervous system, you can give them the just the right challenge. You, you'll know that you're going towards resilience because you're not letting them get over, over their boundaries. You're helping them and you're, you're attuning to, to what they need. You're being responsive and attuning. And we know that those two aspects are really important for resilience. Ah, this is so good. I love it. Okay, you guys, go get Brain Body Parenting, How to Stop Managing Behavior and Start Raising Joyful, Resilient Kids. I'm sure it's available wherever books are sold. Dr. Delahook, thank you so, so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was so fun talking to you. mama if you want more of the modern mommy doc podcast make sure that you click subscribe so you don't miss any episodes we'd also be so honored if you shared with your friends and on social media with the hashtag modern mommy doc if you share about something that inspired you or that you learned from the podcast we'll be sure to share it on our social media as well thanks for listening